Welcome to Oikos. Are you excited to be here? Yes. Awesome. Well, I get the distinct pleasure and privilege with great thanksgiving to introduce Mike Breen. If you don't know Mike Breen, he's a brilliant man. He is very intelligent. He's very wise. <laughs> he's a much better speaker than I would ever be, but <laughs> what is the best thing about him is he knows that his identity is a son of God. And, and I know that none of that is true as well, so that's, that's <laughs> but I, the son of God bit's true, but the rest of it is. That's right. But he may not know this, but he profoundly just impacted my life because there was a moment when I did not want to be a pastor, and it was because we traveled out to Polly's Island, and I met this person that he spoke into my life that day, and I said, I think I can do this. Hmm. And so this morning, he's going to talk about Thanksgiving, and that's the Thanksgiving on my heart but I'm going to turn it over to you, but let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have brought Mike and Sally to speak to us today um, to just give a testimony, a thanksgiving about their life, that they may profoundly impact us as we hear what God has done in them. Um, Lord, we thank you that you work in all of us. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be brilliant. We don't have to be wise. You make us that way. And so we thank you for your words. And may your words impact our hearts today. In your Thank name you. we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Aaron. It's lovely being here with Aaron and uh, this delightful church. Uh, we've had a great time, Sally and I. We've been to Houston several times, uh, but um, every time we get here, we see another facet of the city. And uh, this has been a great facet. We've really loved this. So thank you very much for your welcome and for your kind hospitality and for all of those kind words. Uh, we were talking last night over dinner um, about what I'd speak about today. And, uh, you know, I'm sufficiently long in the tooth and uh, sufficiently long in the saddle of um, teaching and preaching uh, that I'm not particularly phased uh, when I get the nudge from the Holy Spirit to change the message. And um, the message that I had prepared uh, was fun and I'm sure would have been instructive. But this message is the one that the Holy Spirit wants me to share with you today. And uh, I'm very, very... Um, very convinced of that and uh, very certain of that. As we were talking, uh, we, were, we were just beginning to explore, um, Aaron and I and other leaders of your church, what it is that God is up to among you. And as we talked, I felt prompted to share with them a, a little bit of a story of what happened for Sally and I when we led a church in England, and how it was that Thanksgiving began to transform the way that we functioned as a church. We were an urban church like this, but um, like so often in the Western world, we had become quite cynical and hardened by the urban experience. We had become somewhat entitled in the way that we approached God and His grace. We'd become familiar and familiarity often breeds contempt. Well, um, it was about, I think, 14 or 15 years ago, uh, I was on a mission trip with a, with a team of folks from the church in Sheffield, England, to Nigeria. And um, our objective was to go to the central part of the, the, the nation, to a place called Jos, and to teach um, a whole series of seminars on healing and the kingdom, something that's uh, particularly important 
if you start to read the Gospels, because it's quite obvious that Jesus is someone who heals the sick and trains his disciples to do the same. And if we're going to be disciples, then we have to be like the first disciples, and the first disciples have to be like Jesus, and Jesus heals the sick. And so uh, we're looking at that, and we were, we're going to explore that together and understand what it means for us to step into that calling and that role. And I'm sure those are things that you've explored yourselves. But on the way, we wanted to stop in on what was, by all contemporary accounts, a revival that was taking place in the southern part of Nigeria. Uh, We came in uh, to Lagos and uh, we went out to an area called Redemption Camp. The, um, uh, the, The church that had bought this area, had bought about 600 acres, and um, they had begun to have prayer meetings there on a monthly basis. They called them Holy Ghost Nights. And as they had those, um, those prayer meetings, they prayed through the night, which is, a, which is a common thing for African Christians and for Nigerian Christians in particular. And um, we were there, and uh, they said, you know, it would be great if you could be part of it, and maybe you could sh- pray with folks who need prayer, and And um, when we got to the redemption camp, they put us into a a really nice room to sleep in, and then they they took us to the building where we were going to have the prayer meeting. Well, I expected it to be big, maybe maybe as big as as a sports stadium. But when I got to the building, it was so big, I couldn't take it in at all. It didn't have a very high roof, maybe 20 feet high, but the building was a square mile in size. And I said, what are you going to do with this? And they said, yeah, we're, we're, we're just in the process of extending it. In fact, actually, it was half a mile by one mile, but they were, they were now extending it to a mile by a mile. And, they, and I said, um, so what, what do you do? Do you meet in a part of this building? I mean, what is this? And they said, oh, no, this building's not big enough, um, but it's at least uh, big enough for the people who come with children, uh, just in case it rains. I said, how many people are coming to this prayer meeting? They said, well, you know, it depends on the month and what's going on and all that, but it's usually somewhere between 600,000 and a million. And I said, okay. So there we were. We, um, we started the, 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 the prayer meeting. It starts at 6 o'clock in the evening and goes on to 6 o'clock the next day. And so you have to pace yourself a, a little bit, 6 o'clock in the morning, that is. And um, uh, all the children come. They, they get put to sleep underneath the wooden benches. People bring food. We eat about 11 o'clock at night. And um, it's an amazing experience. When a crowd of a million people say amen, it sounds like the mighty rushing ocean crashing on the seashore. It's absolutely incredible. And they said to us, well, you know, you need to come to the front now because we're going to take a break. Uh, but during the break, we're going to have people come forward who are sick and we'll, we'll pray for them. And you can pray too. So uh, I, I began to pray, and there's a line of people, I mean, just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in the line in front of me. And I'm looking around at the other guys who are with me and, and the other Nigerian pastors who were there, and their lines didn't seem to be quite so long. And um, I, I, I just reached over to one of the assistants. I said, can't you just kind of move some of these people into the other lines? I seem to have a lot of people in my line. And uh, they said, yeah, well, some of these folks uh, out in the uh, villages have had visitations of angels, and they were tall and, and blonde. And, um, and they think you might be one of them. So, so they want to get prayed for by the angel. And they, they don't really, you know, they can get prayed for by one of their pastors any day. But they want to, so I said, oh, okay. Well. 
So, I mean, it took me forever to get through this crowd. And by the end of it, it was just like, God heal you, bless you, hallelujah, amen. I mean, it was just, you know, it was impossible. So, so we got to the end of it. Well, almost to the end of it. It was about, it was about 10, 15 minutes before the end. And uh, everything stopped. And these young ladies came out with, uh, with bowls of water and, um, and towels. And I thought, I thought well, it's nice. I, why do I need to do I thought it might be some kind of local tradition a bit like, you know, in certain Catholic churches where the priests wash their hands and all that. And um, they said, um, no, no, you, you need to wash your hands. You've been praying for people long enough. I said, why is that? They said, well, do you know what you've been praying for? I said, no. They said, well, you know, it's every kind of disease imaginable. So it's probably good that you wash your hands. I said, give me that water. I'll... I'll. <laughs> I don't even thought about it, to be quite honest with you. So I washed my hands thoroughly, both then and at the end of the, the prayer time. But as we went through the night, one of the things that was very, very clear to me was that as they stopped every so often, in their times of teaching and in their times of worship and celebration, they would move into a time of thanksgiving. Everybody would give thanks at the same time. They would bring their prayers of thanksgiving. It didn't sound chaotic. It didn't sound awful. It just sounded like everyone was incredibly grateful. And I said to the Lord, as I was in the midst of this, it was incredibly moving. I said to the Lord, how could we see even a touch of this back in England? And he said, just listen to the people. And I listened carefully. And I said, Lord, these are some of the poorest people I've ever met and yet they're incredibly thankful. And the Lord made it very clear to me at that moment that that was my problem. I simply wasn't thankful enough. And so in that moment, I said, Lord, teach me to be thankful. Now, the next day was a day off uh, because you've just been up all night. The day after that, we went to preach in their churches uh, around the city of Lagos. And then on Monday, we got in vans and we headed off towards the airport. The air vice marshal of Nigeria was escorting us in this little cavalcade of cars. And uh, we went on down the expressway, in inverted commas. Um, there wasn't much express about it, but nevertheless, that's what it was called. And uh, we, were, we were on the expressway. And just ahead of us, uh, Coca-Cola had um, a bit of an accident because the Coca-Cola truck had turned over and glass was all over the highway. And so our vans had to get around the glass. And as we went around the glass, we had to go on the hard shoulder. And as we went on the hard shoulder, our van picked up a nail and we had a puncture. And so we're all looking nervously at the, at the watches and wondering whether we're ever going to get there. And as we, as we were doing that, I, I looked across to, to the side of me over here and it looked like a great... Um, a great city dump was moving towards us. I could see it was a city dump, but it looked like it was moving somehow. And I looked more carefully. I noticed that there were just crowds of people across this dump, and some of them were moving towards us. And I kind of looked anxiously uh, towards the, uh, the minibus in which all of these young 20-somethings were who were with me on this mission trip. And I thought to myself, boy, this is, uh, this is going to be a, an interesting moment right now. And so I began to pray. One guy came up, and um, he was very big, even in comparison to me. I'm 6'5", and uh, he came up, and he said, um, you didn't stop at the checkpoint back there. I said, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know what you mean. He said, well, your driver should have stopped at the checkpoint. We're police. I looked at him, and I thought, I, I, 
they don't really look like police. But they, they had a real manner of authority about them. And, um, and they said, well, um, now you're going to have to pay us here or we'll take you down to the station. So this was a shakedown. And um, I looked at him and I looked at my associate and uh, I never carry money with me on, on mission trips, but I, I looked at my associate, and he began to reach for his wallet, which was in his back pocket. And as he reached out loud, now this, this very rarely happens uh, to me or to anyone else, but just every so often the Lord will do this. Out loud, I heard the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord said this, The Lord hates a bribe. And I looked up and I said, you're kidding. <laughs> I, out loud, I said, you're kidding. You're going to quote Proverbs to me now? The Lord hates a bribe. How are we going to get at it? I mean, this is what's going on through my mind. So I looked at my associate. I just laid my hand on his shoulder. and I looked at the guy and I said, I'm sorry, I can't give you any money. And he looked at me with incredulity in his, in his face. And, and was sizing me up as to which part of me he was going to cut off first, I think. At that moment, now this is the, this is the moment that um, you may not believe. This is where your, your, uh, your belief might just be suspended for a moment. But I can assure you, I'm, uh, I'm not making anything up about what happened next. What happened next was a white SUV set up for the wilderness, pulled in ahead of us. And a man got out, dressed in white safari gear. And he walked over to us, and in an Italian accent said, What's going on out here? <laughs> now this is a surreal moment. I'm on an expressway to Lagos in Nigeria... And a man in a white safari suit with an Italian accent is speaking to me. The man who had confronted me became like a lamb. He bowed his head. He was quiet. The Italian angel turned to him and said, <laughs> said to him, uh, what do you want? He said, well, you know, he just mumbled about money and, and he said, you're not a policeman. Show me your ID. He got this little piece of paper. He said, You're not. You go and stand over there. So the guy went and stood over there, kind of. <laughs> and then, and then he, he looked across at the guy who was fixing the tie. He said, are you finished? He put his thumbs up. He said, okay, everybody good? Good. Off you go. And so we all got back in, and we're kind of looking at each other thinking, what, what happened? We got back in the, in the vans, we, we, we drove on to the airport, we were met by this kind of delegation of church leaders, we, we told them this amazing story, they said, you've met the Italian angel. I said, come on, what are you talking about? They said, well, we, we don't know where he comes from or what it is that he does, but he only ever turns up in his white SUV, wearing his white safari gear when missionaries are in danger. And I said, are you serious? They said, we're absolutely serious. We're not telling you any stories. It's an angel. Well, 
we, were, we knew that there's something going on, but we had no idea it was a... And I, I said to one of the other guys, he's an Italian. <laughs> and I said to one of the guys, I said, he probably got thrown out of the Vatican during the Reformation. <laughs> so we got on the plane and we flew up to Jos. And that night, that night, I, I became sick. I was shaking, sweating, um, observing the porcelain in the toilet a lot. And um, in the morning, I hadn't slept at all. And the, the thing that we were going to do before the seminar started was to visit the oldest bush hospital in the world, just outside of, of Jos, in a place called Vom, which for me was short for Vomit. And so we, we took a, a little car out there, and we, we got to the, uh, to the hospital. And as I got out, the senior nurse that was a man, a, quite a short man, he, he came over to me and said, uh, you don't look very well. I said, I'm not very well. He said, come into the examination room. I went into the examination room, and immediately the room is full of all kinds of medics and doctors. And uh, I've you know, been around enough to know that if there's something seriously wrong, there's like a panic button that somebody has pressed and the whole place fills up with all of the right specialists. And so this room is just full of people. And I said to them, guys, what's happening? This? And they started asking me, you know, which of these tropical diseases have I had in the past? And which ones have I been in contact with recently? And I, I just had no idea what they were talking about. And I said, why? They said, well, you've got one of them. We're just not sure which one right now. So the rest of the team, they're kind of upset because, you know, their pastor is now in a field hospital, they have to go back to the city. They find a, an isolation room for me that's an old nurse's room, but it's not big enough to get a proper bed in, so they put a child's bed in there. <laughs> this is true. It's about 5'8 long. And, uh, and uh, they, they put a, a mosquito net up, and they say, we'll, we'll take care of you until the symptoms become obvious as to what it is. So I'm lying in bed, sweating with an incredibly high temperature, right on the very brink of catatonia. So I'm, I'm in terrible pain. I'm, I'm in, in terrible need. And a nurse comes in at 2 o'clock in the morning, and she says, Daddy, that's the name that they would normally use in Nigeria for a pastor. She said, Daddy, do you mind if I pray in tongues for you? Well, I'd, I'd not had that request before. And uh, I said, go for your life. So she, she began praying for me. And um, as she began praying for me, I, I began hearing the Lord speak to me again. And um, this is what the Lord said. He said, now I'm going to teach you how to be thankful. And because I'm English and entitled and cynical, I said, I'm sorry, Lord, for what? And the Lord said, start with the bed. The bed? Thank you for the bed. Now the mosquito net. Thank you for the mosquito net. Now the nurse. Thank you for the nurse. Now the people who painted the room. Thank you for the painters. And... It took the Lord 30 or 40 minutes of prompting me before I could get the engine started. But within a couple of hours, I was really going for it. 
I was thanking God for everything. My wristwatch, my socks, my shoes, my haircut, the people who did. I mean, I, pray, I thank God for everything. Because as I was thanking God, I could sense a change occurring within me. It was as though something was lifting off me. By six o'clock that morning, I was completely healed. The doctor came in and said, what's happening? I said, don't stop me now. I'm being thankful. <laughs> he said, this is, this is an absolutely amazing transformation. I got up, had a shower, got dressed, had breakfast, and the whole nursing staff and the whole medical staff, every doctor and every nurse, lined the corridor as I walked out of the hospital. It was a Christian hospital, thanking God and praising God for the miracle that he had done overnight. But it was a miracle that was received through thanksgiving. Let me read to you a passage from the Bible. It's in Luke chapter 17, and it speaks about Jesus healing 10 lepers. It's in Luke 17, verse 11. This is what it says. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, in the Bible, you are raised from the dead, delivered from demons, healed from sickness, cleansed from leprosy. When a leper is healed, the healing is always described as a cleansing, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so these 10 lepers who are calling out to Jesus, they've been excluded from normal society. They're on the outside of the town. They're living in their own little leper colony. They are absolutely desperate because the leprosy is tearing away at the very fabric of their bodies. The deadness in their nervous system that leprosy causes means that they can never check on the nicks and the cuts and the, the little splinters that quickly become septic and before long, their body is riddled with gangrene. They lose fingers and hands and toes and feet. And eventually, their eyes are taken as they go blind. It's a terrible, terrible disease. And has always been used in Scripture as a graphic image 
of how sin creeps into a person's life and ravages their lives. And so, because of that symbol of sin, leprosy is always cleansed and not simply healed. Now, Jesus heals all ten of the men with a word. And he says, go show yourself to the priest. Now, that means that they go, and according to Leviticus chapter 14, which is the most favorite passage in the whole Bible for lepers, a passage that probably you may never have read. According to Leviticus 14, they go to the priest and they show that they're healed. And the the priest takes a turtle dove and the blood of that dove he puts on their right earlobe, their right thumb, and their right big toe. And it's an indication that the blood of the covenant has cleansed them. And then a week later, they go back. And if they are continuing in their healing, the priest takes oil and puts the oil where the blood has been. The oil of blessing, the oil of healing, the oil of anointing, the oil of empowering. He puts the oil on the right earlobe, the oil on the right thumb, the oil on the right toe. You see, it's a two-stage healing. There is the cleansing and then there is the blessing. As the Samaritan goes away, he's cleansed. And he wants the other stage of the healing. The others, they just want to get on with their lives. But the one man, the most alienated amongst the most alienated, the Samaritan amongst the lepers, perhaps because of that he realizes how much he's received. He comes back to Jesus and kneels at his feet and simply says, thank you. Now he's already cleansed. But Jesus says, where are the other nine? The Samaritan has come to bring his thanks. And Jesus says to the Samaritan, he says, go, your faith has made you whole. Yes, you're cleansed. But now you're made whole. You have the second stage of the healing Because now you have the oil where the blood has been. This is my experience. I've been a pastor, man and boy, all my life. Most Christians only get as far as the cleansing of the blood. But not the blessing of the oil. The blessing of the oil. Do you believe that there's more that God has for you than you've already received? If you don't, then you must think that you've already arrived. For me personally, I always believe that God has more for me than what I've already received. Of course he does. You take a bucket out of the ocean and the ocean is not diminished in any way. 
You take a bucket of forgiveness, you take a bucket of grace out of the ocean of God's love, God's love is not diminished in any way. He has so much more for us. And yet we live such limited lives because we do not return and give thanks. This is what I've discovered. I went back from that experience, that amazing experience in Nigeria, and went back to my own church. We were already a large church. But in the next six months, we had an opportunity for people to give thanks in the worship services on a regular basis. And during that time, 500 people came to Christ. And they came to Christ without us offering any effort at all. It just happened. Amazing things happened in the church. It was as though God had been waiting. God had been waiting to pour out a blessing. But the reason he was unable to pour out the blessing was because our hands were closed with a lack of gratitude. Because we were not giving thanks back to him. Because when we give thanks, we say, thanks for giving to me everything that I've received. And because we give it back to him in thanksgiving, our hands are empty again, and he can give more, and he can pour out more, and he can give us an abundance and beyond anything that we've received up to now. We live such mediocre, tawdry lives because we do not receive what it is the Father has for us. And the reason we don't receive is because our hands are already full of what we've got. You see, I discover that a lot of people, maybe not you, but a lot of people, are like me. They're just entitled and cynical and they hold on to what they have. And they don't return thanks to the one who gave it. And so thanksgiving has been now part of our lifestyle and the lifestyle of the movement that we've been privileged to serve. And as thanksgiving has been taken on as a lifestyle choice, so we've seen God abundantly pour out more and more of what it is that he wants to give. What are you lacking today? Do you hold on because you lack? Or do you return thanks because of what you've been given? It's only a very small difference, but it changes everything. And so this morning, my encouragement to you is this. Take on thanksgiving as a habit. Make it a discipline. Make it part of your life so that your lifestyle is a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And you will be amazed at what it is that God will do. When your hands are empty, his heart full of grace is only ready to give. So let's try it. Now, you don't know me very well, but Aaron trusted me. So... Just assume that I'm trustworthy enough. I haven't got a box of snakes anywhere. We're not going to do anything weird. All I'm going to do is I'm going to recommend that this morning we try Thanksgiving. How about that? Now, the Greek word for Thanksgiving in the New Testament is the word Eucharist. Did you know that? 
And so it's entirely appropriate to do this on a Sunday morning when we gather to make the great thanksgiving, which of course is that that we will be sharing in in a moment. But what I want us to do right now is I want us to begin thanking God for just the small things. And I want you to start with your closet. And I want you to start with your shoes and your socks and your t-shirts and all of the insignificant things in your life. And then I want you to go into your kitchen. In your minds, I want you to go into your kitchen and just thank God for your spoons and your forks and your knives. And I want you to thank God for the sauces and the plates and the cups. Because he gave you all of them. Every single one of them. And then maybe you can thank God for your shirts and your trousers and your coats. And maybe you can get on to your children and your spouse and the people around you. Do you see what I mean? And, and this is what will happen. I'm, I'm so confident of this because I've seen it so many times. You will begin to actually experience the release of the oil of blessing. You'll begin to experience the oil of healing. You'll begin to experience the oil of anointing and empowering for service. Are there things that you want to do for God? Well, you need his empowering presence. So, this is what I'd love us to do. I'm going to do this too, but I'd love you. We're just going to do it Nigerian style, if that's all right, okay? Stand up with me. And I, I realize, you know, most of us are Lutherans, and, you know, we're kind of a little bit stiff and all that kind of stuff. So, it's, it's tricky. So, I'm not expecting you to be loud about this. But, but maybe just not in your head, because we're often too much in our head, aren't we? Just out loud enough so that you can hear it. So try it about like that. Okay? Try it about like that. And I promise you, as you start getting into this, you'll be like me. The wheels of grace will begin moving in your heart. And you'll be able to get more and more into this discipline of thanksgiving. Next time you read the New Testament, just look on every page where the word thanksgiving occurs. It's incredible how often it occurs. But right now, let's... Um, Let's maybe just open our hands to the Father. Let's close our eyes. Let's go into our closet and let's begin thanking God for the insignificant things that he's given us. And I want you to do it out loud. I know it's not a very normal thing. You don't have to do it every week, but just for me and for Jesus, do it right now. So out loud, let's start with the things that we have and then let's just keep on going. Lord, thank you so much for the things that you've given me. Thank you, Lord, for the socks that you give me. Thank you, Lord, for the shoes that you give me. All of those shirts, Lord, it's amazing. Thank you, Lord, for the sweaters. Thank you, Lord, for the T-shirts. Thank you, Lord, for all of the stuff that you've given me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the belts. I've got more than one belt. It's amazing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for all of the things in our house. Thank you, Lord, for the cushions and the couches and the floors. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the curtains. Now, come on, keep on moving. Keep on moving. Just keep on thanking God. There's so many things in your life. Thank God for the things in your kitchen. Thank God for the things in your larder and in your fridge. Thank God for the people in your life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank the Lord for your family. Thank the Lord for the people next to you. Thank the Lord for the people at work, even the ones you don't like. The Lord has given you so many things. 
Now, Lord, as my dear brothers and sisters are thanking you, just keep on going. Lord, I pray that you'd release the oil of blessing on their lives, Lord. Just bless them this day. Lord, those who need healing this day, I pray that they'd be healed. Those that, Lord, need your abundance this day, I pray that they'd be blessed abundantly, Lord. Cancel debt and set people free this day. And may you, Lord, bring equipping and empowering to all of your people. And we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people say, God bless you. It's been wonderful being with you. Thank you very much.